Book Two, Chapter Eleven of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Two, Chapter Eleven. Two Lovers. Indiana, intent but upon running on, had nearly reached the churchyard without hearkening to one word of the expostulating Mandelbear, when, leaning over a tombstone on which she herself had leant while waiting for the carriage, she perceived the young Oxonian. An instinctive spirit of coquetry made her now increase her pace. He heard the rustling of female approach and looked up. Her beauty, heightened by her flight which animated her complexion while it displayed her fine form seemed more than ever celestial to the enamoured student who darted forward from an impulse of irresistible surprise oh heaven she cried panting and stopping as he met her i shall die i shall die i am pursued by a mad bull edgar would have explained that all was safe but melman neither heard nor saw him oh give me then he cried emphatically give me the ecstasy to protect to save you his outspread arms shewed his intention to bear her away but edgar placing himself between them said pardon me sir this lady is under my care oh don't fight about me don't quarrel cried indiana with an apprehension half simple half affected no madame answered melman respectfully retreating i know too too well my little claim in such a dispute permit me however to assist you mr mandelbear in your search of refuge and deign madame to endure me in your sight till this alarm passes away indiana by no means insensible to this language looked with some elation at edgar to see how he bore it Edgar was not surprised. He had already observed the potent impression made by the beauty of Indiana upon the Oxonian, and was struck, in defiance of its romance and suddenness, with its air of sincerity. He only therefore gently answered that there was not the least cause of fear. "'Oh, how can you say so?' said Indiana. "'How can you take so little interest in me?' "'At least, at least!' cried melman trembling with eagerness condescend to accept a double guard refuse not mr mandelbear to suffer any attendance mandelbear a little embarrassed answered i have no authority to decide for miss lindmere but certainly i see no occasion for my assistance melman fervently clasped his hands and exclaimed do not do not madame command me to leave you till all danger is over the little heart of indiana beat high with triumph she thought mandelbear jealous miss margland had often told her there was no surer way to quicken him and even independently of this idea the spirit the ardour the admiration of the oxonian had a power upon her mind that needed no auxiliary for delighting it. She curtsied her consent, but declared she would never go back the same way. 
They proceeded, therefore, by a little round to the high road which led to the field in which the party had been dispersed. Indiana was full of starts, little shrieks, and palpitations, every one of which rendered her, in the eyes of the Oxonian, more and more captivating. And, while Edgar walked gravely on, reflecting with some uneasiness upon being thus drawn in to suffer the attendance of a youth so nearly a stranger, upon a young lady actually under his protection, Melman was continually ejaculating in return to her perpetual apprehensions. "'What lovely timidity! What bewitching softness! What feminine! What beautiful delicacy! How sweet in terror!' how soul-piercing in alarm these exclamations were nearly enchanting to indiana whose only fear was lest they should not be heard by edgar and whenever they ceased whenever a pause and respectful silence took their place new starts fresh palpitations and designed false steps again called them forth while the smile with which she repaid their enthusiastic speaker was fuel to his flame, but poison to his peace. They had not proceeded far when they were met by Miss Margland, who, in equal trepidation from anger and from fear, was still making the best of her way from the bellowing of the bull. Edgar inquired for Sir Hugh and the rest of the party, but she could speak only of Lionel, his insolence, and his ill-usage, protesting nothing but her regard for Indiana could induce her to live a moment longer under his uncle's roof. "'But where,' again cried Edgar, "'where is Sir Hugh? And where are the ladies?' "'Tossed by the bull,' answered she pettishly, "'for aught I know. I did not choose to stay and be tossed myself.' and a person like Mr. Lionel can soon make such a beast point at one, if he takes it into his humour. Edgar then begged they might hasten to their company, but Miss Margland positively refused to go back, and Indiana, always ready to second any alarm, declared she should quite sink with fright if they went within a hundred yards of that horrid field. Edgar still pleaded that the baronet would expect them, but Melman, in softer tones, spoke of fears, sensibility, and dangers, and Edgar soon found he was talking to the winds. All that now remained to prevent further separations was that Edgar should run on to the party and acquaint them that Miss Margland and Indiana would wait for them upon the high road. Melman, meanwhile, felt in paradise. Even the presence of Miss Margland could not restrain his rapture upon a causality that gave him such a charge, though it forced him to forbear making the direct and open declaration of his passion with which his heart was burning and his tongue quivering. He attended them both with the most fervent respect, evidently very gratifying to the object of his adoration, though not noticed by Miss Margland, who was wholly absorbed by her own provocations. Edgar soon reached the bank by the roadside, upon which the baronet, Dr. Marchmont, Lionel, and Camilla were seated. "'Lord, help us!' exclaimed Sir Hugh, aghast at his approach. "'If here's not young Mr. Edgar without Indiana! This is a thing I could never have expected from you, young Mr. Edgar, that you should leave her, I don't know where, and come without her!' Edgar assured him she was safe, 
and under the care of Miss Margland, but that neither of them could be prevailed with to come farther, he had therefore advanced to inquire after the rest of the party, and to arrange where they should all assemble. "'Oh, you have done very right, then, my dear Mr. Edgar, as you always do, as far as I can make out when I come to the bottom. And now I am quite easy about Indiana. But as to Eugenia, what Dr. Orkborn has done with her is more than I can devise, unless, indeed, they are got to studying some of their Greek verbs, and so forgot us all, which is likely enough. Only I had rather they had taken another time, not much caring to stay here longer than I can help. Edgar said he would make a circuit in search of them, but first, addressing Camilla, "'You alone,' he cried, with an approving smile, "'have remained thus quiet, while all else have been scampering apart, making confusion worse confounded.' "'I have lived too completely in the country to be afraid of cattle,' she answered, "'and Dr. Marchmont assured me there was no danger.' "'You can listen, then, even when you are alarmed,' said he expressively, to the voice of reason. Camilla raised her eyes and looked at him, but dropped them again without making any answer. "'Can you,' she thought, "'have been pleading it in vain? How I wonder at Indiana!' He then set out to seek Eugenia, recommending the same office to Lionel by another route. But Lionel no sooner gathered where Miss Marglin might be met with than his repentance was forgotten, and he quitted everything to encounter her. Edgar spent near half an hour in his search without the smallest success. He was then seriously uneasy and returning to the party, when a countryman to whom he was known told him he had seen Miss Eugenia Tyrold, with a very handsome fine-town gentleman, going into a farmhouse. Edgar flew to the spot, and through a window, as he advanced, perceived Eugenia seated, and Bellamy kneeling before her. Amazed and concerned, he abruptly made his way into the apartment. Bellamy rose in the utmost confusion, and Eugenia, starting and coloring, caught Edgar by the arm, but could not speak. He told her that her uncle and the whole company were waiting for her in great anxiety. "'And where, where,' cried she, "'are they? I have been in agonies about them all, and I could not prevail, I could not. This gentleman said the risk was so great. He would not suffer me, but he has sent for a chase, though I told him I had a thousand times rather hazard my life amongst them and with them than save it alone.' "'They are all perfectly safe, nor has there ever been any danger.' "'I was told, I was assured,' said Bellamy, "'that a mad bull was running wild about the country, "'and I thought it therefore advisable to send for a chase from the nearest inn, "'that I might return this young lady to her friends.' "'Edgar made no answer, but offered his arm to conduct Eugenia to her uncle. "'She accepted it, and Bellamy attended on her other side. "'Edgar was silent the whole way.' The attitude in which he had surprised Bellamy, by assuring him of the nature of his pretensions, had awakened doubts the most alarming of the destination in view for the chase which he had ordered, and he believed that Eugenia was either to have been beguiled or betrayed into a journey the most remote from the home to which she belonged. 
Eugenia increased his suspicions by the mere confusion which deterred her from removing them. Bellamy had assured her she was in the most eminent personal danger, and had hurried her from field to field with an idea that the dreaded animal was in full pursuit. When carried, however, into the farmhouse, she lost all apprehension for herself in fears for her friends, and insisted upon sharing their fate. Bellamy, who immediately ordered a chase, then cast himself at her feet to entreat she would not throw away her life by so rash a measure. Exhausted from her lameness, she was forced to sit still, and such was their situation at the entrance of Edgar. She wished extremely to explain what had been the object of the solicitation of Bellamy, and to clear him, as well as herself, from any further surmises. But she was ashamed to begin the subject. Edgar had seen a man at her feet, and she thought herself it was a cruel injury to Claremont, though she knew not how to refuse it forgiveness, since it was merely to supplicate she would save her own life. Bellamy, therefore, was the only one who spoke, and his unanswered observations contributed but little to enliven the walk. When they came within sight of the party, the baronet was again seized with the extremest dismay. "'Why, now, what's this?' cried he. "'Here's nothing but blunders. Pray, sir, who gave you the authority to take my niece from her own tutor? For so I may call him, though more properly speaking he came amongst us to be mine, which, however, is no affair but of our own.' "'Sir,' answered Bellamy, advancing and bowing, "'I hope I have had the happiness of rather doing service than mischief.' I saw the young lady upon the point of destruction, and I hastened her to a place of security from whence I had ordered a post-chaise to convey her safe to your house.' "'Yes, my dear uncle,' said Eugenia, recovering from her embarrassment, "'I have occasioned this gentleman infinite trouble, and though Mr. Mandelbear assures us there was no real danger, he thought there was, and therefore I must always hold myself to be greatly obliged to him.' "'Well, if that's the case, I must be obliged to him, too.' which, to tell you the truth, is not a thing I am remarkably fond of having happened. But where's Dr. Arkborn? I hope he's come to no harm by his not shooing himself. At the moment of terror, said Eugenia, I accepted the first offer of assistance, concluding we were all hurrying away at the same time. But I saw Dr. Arkborn no more afterwards. I can't say that was over and above kind of him, nor careful, neither, cried Sir Hugh, considering some particular reasons. However, where is he now? Nobody could say. No one had seen or observed him. Why, then, ten to one, poor gentleman, exclaimed the baronet, but he is the very person himself who's tossed, while we are all of us running away for nothing. A suspicion now occurred to Dr. Marchmont, which led him to return over the stile into the field where the confusion had begun. And there, on the exact spot where he had first taken out his tablets, calmly stood Dr. Orkborn, looking now upon his writing, now up to the sky, but seeing nothing anywhere from intense absorption of thought upon the illustration he was framing. Awakened from his reverie by the doctor, his first recollection was of Eugenia. He had not doubted her remaining quietly by his side, and the moment he looked round and missed her he felt considerable compunction. The good doctor, however, assured him all were safe, and conducted him to the group. "'So here you are,' said the baronet, "'and no more tossed than myself, for which I am sincerely thankful. 
though I can't say I think you have taken much care of my niece, nobody knowing what might have become of her if it had not been for that strange gentleman that I never saw before. He then formally placed Eugenia under the care of Dr. Marchmont. Dr. Orkborn, piqued by this transfer, sullenly followed, and now gave to her pertinaciously his undivided attention. Drawn by a total revulsion of ideas from the chain of thinking that had led him to composition, he relinquished his annotations in resentment of this dismission, when he might have pursued them uninterruptedly without neglect of other avocations. End of chapter 11